All right. Really glad to be here. Uh, I always feel like it's kind of a homecoming every quarter that I get to come here. We actually have another homecoming. Peter and his family are here. <laughs> Want to just recognize him and Julian and the boys. Really glad to have them in the house today. So I feel really special today, like being able to have that with my fellow Korean brother and family <laughs> together here too. Um, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and uh, I think I mentioned it before, I listened to all the messages too, so I still feel like I'm a part of it too. <laughs> so we've been going through the book of Colossians, talking about how to prosper under pressure. Okay, so we're going to continue with that series today. Today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 20. 24 to chapter 2, verse 5. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through the passage, and then we're going to kind of work our way backwards, right? So we're going to start from the end, and then we're going to go back to the beginning, where I think Paul is talking about how to prosper under pressure. Okay, so why don't we jump right in? Uh, Colossians 1:24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship uh, from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy and he, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Okay. So one of the challenges of going through kind of Paul's letters, his epistles, is that he like jam-packs it, right? So like when we look through that, even as you're kind of listening, it's like, this is a lot to take in. It's like drinking from a water a fire hydrant right here. So we're going to not focus in on every piece of this passage, but we're going to focus in on certain elements. And so we'll start with the end. And then, like I said, we're going to work our way back up to verse 24, okay? Okay, so uh, let's look at chapter 2, verse 4. He's giving kind of the reason behind this section. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. If you were here a couple weeks ago and you listened to Kyle's message, he did a really great job of talking about the pressure this church is under. Okay, their faith is under attack. Okay, their thoughts and their beliefs about who Jesus is and about the gospel is under attack. And he did a really good job picturing and kind of portraying. That's kind of the reality of what we're experiencing more and more. Where that wasn't true probably 20, 30, 40 years ago. Not as much. But now it really is true. That we are 
the unpopular belief. We're the unpopular stance. We don't feel like we're not part of the mainstream any longer. And that's kind of the reality of what we're listening to. This is what the Colossian church is going through. They're experiencing the same type of things that we're going through, and they're feeling the pressure. Okay, so uh, verse two, chapter 2, verse 4 kind of gives the, the context for what we're looking at, this, this pressure that they're experiencing. Okay, now I want to look at a couple other verses. Okay, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Okay, he's saying that he wants their hearts to be encouraged and being knitted together in love and that they would reach all these riches. Okay, so the riches of assurance and knowledge and of the God's mystery, which is Christ. And then in verse 3, in whom, okay, so when we look at verse 3, when it says, in whom, who is he talking about? He's talking about Christ. Okay, a little grammar, right? So Christ, in whom, in whom is, in Christ. Okay, and the reason I point that out is because this is a phrase used all throughout Colossians. Okay, we see it in chapter 1, we see it in here in 2. In fact, 19 times in the book of Colossians, in this short little book, only four chapters, he talks about being in Christ. Okay, even more than that, all throughout uh, Paul's epistles and all throughout the New Testament, it's over 150 times talked about being in Christ. Okay, that's who we are, that's our identity. Our identity is being in Christ. That's our new identity. That's who we're born into. That's where we are now. We are in Christ, okay? But Paul also uses another phrase in this section that's actually not as common, okay? Let's look at that, okay? So we'll find that in chapter 1, verse, where are we? 27, verse 27, Okay, says again, to them God chose to make known among the Gentiles the riches of his glory, of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, this phrase is only used nine times in the New Testament, okay, but Paul talks about it here. So what's the difference? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever read this where he talks about us being in Christ, but then Christ being in us? There's both. Right? We have us being in Christ, but Christ also being in us. What's the difference? What's the difference between us being in Christ and Christ being in us? Well, if you want to know that, we're not going to get that today. I'm not going to be able to go into like explaining what that is. Maybe in future times we'll talk about more about that. But what I do want to emphasize is this. When you become a Christian, when you are literally born again, you have a new identity. Pastor Barry talked about it last week, that we have a new identity, that we're in Christ, that our new identity is in him, but it's also him in us, which tells me from the inside out, inside you have Christ, on the outside you have Christ. Christ is everything all around you, inside and outside, inside you and outside you. Everything that goes around you is in Christ. Everything that happens in you is also in Christ. We have to understand this is our new life and our new identity. We don't have another life. Our old life died together with Christ and we're raised again to a new life. And the new life is not the same as our old life. We don't have a separate life apart from him. Our only life is in Christ. That's the only life we have now. We're only living his life. That's the only life that we have as a Christian is now his life. 
Whose life are we living? We're not living our life anymore. We're living Christ's life. That's the only life that we have. We're not living our life. And it's so easy to get kind of away from that and distracted from that. And that, that's not our perspective any longer. We think we're living our life. We have our life. We have our house. We have our car. We have our kids. We have our job. We have our money. We have our future. We have our this, our that. It's very easy to have that perspective like, I'm living my life. It's clear when we look at the Bible that that's not true anymore. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's not true anymore. You're not living your life. You're living Christ's life. He is the one living his life through you. He is living his life all around you. Everything about your life and your existence is in him and him in you. Okay, so we need to get really grounded on that because we're going to talk about that later, okay? But I want to keep going up, okay? We're going to make our way up, and let's go all the way back up to uh, chapter 1, verse 24, where Paul talks about prospering under pressure. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Okay, so this is really important for us, because when we think about prospering under pressure, it's not enduring. We're not talking about, like, okay, I'm just going to close my eyes until I wake up into the day when it's over. You know, it's not going to talking about like I'm just going to try my best to try to endure, to try to not give up. And that's an important part of it. You need to endure. You need to go through. You need to walk through these things all the way until the end. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. And that's not what this series is about. It's not about enduring so we can stay at zero or to not go into negative and to give up. It's about going into the positive range. It's about rejoicing in our suffering, rejoicing when we feel pressure. Now, I don't know about you, when I read this, and there's a lot of verses like this in the Bible, right? And we're going to look at a couple of them today. This is like... There's a disconnect here when I read that. Like, when I read, like, rejoice in your suffering. How do you do that? How do you rejoice in your suffering? Right? Does God want us to be like a masochist, like a Christian masochist? Like, I love suffering. Give me more. That's not enough, Lord. Bring me, bring me some more suffering. I want an extra helping of that. I want to go back and get more. I want to sit at the buffet table of suffering. Like, is this the perspective that God wants us to have? Like, I love it. Come on. Like, thank you. Give me another. Like, this is what my perspective we're supposed to have as a Christian. We're supposed to love suffering. We're supposed to have joy and rejoice in suffering. I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's asking of us. In fact, look at, look at what Paul talks about here. He says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. And I think all of us can relate to that. If you've gone through suffering where you don't see any kind of purpose, that's so hard to endure. It's so hard to endure suffering with no purpose. Like, what? What's the purpose? Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering so much? During those times, it's very difficult to endure, let alone prosper. It's very hard to go through those things if you don't see any kind of purpose in what you're going through. If there's no purpose in your suffering, it's very hard to go through and to walk through with a positive attitude, 
being able to go through, being able to even rejoice. Okay, so what we're seeing here, Paul points out that there is a reason. There's a reason, okay? Let's look at a couple other verses that talk about this. And let's look at the first one in James chapter 1. Okay, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Okay, very similar passage to what we just saw here in Colossians, right? James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Sound similar? Okay, he wants you to have joy when you face trials of many kinds. Okay, so again, is he asking us to have joy in the trials that we're going through? No, he's not. He's not asking us to have joy in the trials. He's asking us to have joy in verses 3 and 4. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and you let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. If you're feeling perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, do you think that's going to produce joy? Yes, I think so. I think it will. Is he asking you to have joy in the trials that you're going through? Yes and no. In the, in the trial themselves? No. In the midst of the trials? Yes. So in that sense, it's in the trials you're going to have joy, but it's inside there. It's in the context of. It's in the atmosphere of. That's where you're going to experience your joy, but not in the trial itself. You want us to have joy in what it's producing. Let's look at another passage. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Okay? This is where Paul is talking about a thorn in his flesh. Okay? And there's a lot of people talk about, like, what is this thorn? And I'm not going to get into that. But basically, he has this thorn in his flesh, some kind of physical ailment that he's experiencing. He prays three times that God would take it away, and God doesn't remove it. Okay? Then we have verse 9. Then the Lord said to Paul, But my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast, some versions say, I will delight in all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is Paul delighting in? Is he delighting in the thorn in his flesh? Is he delighting in the weaknesses he's experiencing? No, he's not. He's saying, this is an on-ramp. This is an on-ramp for me to be able to experience who God is, for me to experience his power. Because when I'm at my weakness and I see God more clearly, I can see his power working in my life. When I don't feel like I can do it, he does it. And when he does it, I get to see him. I get to see how powerful he is, how amazing he is, how wonderful he is, how loving he is. When I get to see that, I delight. I rejoice. I rejoice in those things. It's been about five or six years now. Uh, I, think, I think many of you kind of know the background, but some of you maybe don't, so... My wife uh, had brain surgery in 2016. Uh, she had gotten diagnosed uh, with a rare condition called Moya Moya, and she had two brain surgeries in 2016. After her brain surgeries, uh, she went through three different hospitalizations, having different strokes each time. 
brain bleeds each time. So within a course of about six months, we were like living in the hospital. Okay, we were living in the hospital during that time. And I have to say, I did not endure well. You know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I was literally nothing. Like I had no faith, right? And I was so glad people were praying for me because I felt like I need their faith because personally, I have no faith. You know, I was just leaning on everybody else's faith during that time. And that's okay. When you're going through that and you don't have faith, that's okay. Lean on other people's faith. That's why we need other people. You have to lean on their faith when you don't have it. Okay, so I was in that situation. We, I just, this church family was the only reason that I, we survived. Literally, the only reason we survived. They were taking care of Susan at the hospital. They were taking care of me at home. They were taking care of my kids. They were like, they were everything. They were my stretcher bearers. They were everything. Okay, so we're going through that season, and really it's the valley of the shadow of death. You know, literally, it felt like I was going through the valley of the shadow of death coming out of there. During that time, uh, I was having a lot of stomach issues, okay? And I knew it was from fear. Fear and stress, and I was feeling it in my stomach, okay? It got so bad, I felt like I had had an ulcer, okay? So I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. And I remember Don Harada, he had to take me to the to the doctor and I got scoped and they looked in, looked in my stomach and they got the results and said there's nothing there which I already knew but I guess it was good to get confirmed that it's nothing serious I knew it wasn't from something there it was from stress and fear okay tremendous amount you know constant for that six month period and even after that six month period it was constant stress and fear and so my stomach uh, was like incredible pain okay so slowly the Lord started restoring us and c- taking us out of that season. And as he was taking us that season, you know, things started improving. You know, my wife's health started improving. And where she is now compared to before is so much different, so much better, even though it's not over. But my stomach thing that got really messed up during that six-month period kept on going. Okay? So basically, I had stomach pain every day. Okay? Every day from that period all the way to today, okay, pretty much almost every day, right? And it was especially hard for me because you ever heard of the love languages? You know, there's five different love languages. Well, my love language is a sixth one is food. <laughs> food is my love language, okay? That's my love language. So if you want to show love to me, then you go take me out to get something really good to eat. That's my love language. This was really hard for me when my stomach was hurting all the time, okay? I just felt like, I don't want to eat. When I eat, it just feels worse, you know? So I just had no appetite. I didn't want to eat, which is really hard for me. Um, Going through this time, I'm praying that God would take this from me, okay? And in the midst of this time, as I said, as God took me out of this season, um, he really, um, it must have been him because I don't think I actually wanted this or even thought about this, but I prayed this, okay? I prayed this as the Lord was taking me out of that season or taking our family out of that season, out of the valley. I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, during this dark season, I was so utterly, utterly, totally dependent on you because I had to. My prayer was, I don't want it to be because I have to. 
I want to be dependent on you because I want to. I prayed that prayer. In 2018, I prayed that prayer after the Lord took us out of the valley. I prayed that prayer. And again, I think that was from the Lord because honestly, if you were to ask me, I don't think I would really want that, right? But somehow those words came out of my mouth, but something in me felt like I did want that. I didn't want that. So my prayer was, I know what it is to be dependent on you because I can't. I'm totally incapable. But I want to be dependent on you, and I want to be intimately connected with you because I want to, not because I have to. Okay, I prayed that prayer in 2018. Okay, so my stomach thing is going on day by day, day by day by day by day. And then I'm praying and asking God to take it away. And then we pray these things. I'm sure you pray this like, Help me to learn what you want me to learn from this so that it could be finished, okay? As quickly as possible. Please tell me what you want me to learn so I could be done with this season and my stomach, they could be over, right? I pray that prayer, I don't know how many times. Please help me, teach me, teach me, right? And then getting other people to pray. I had other people pray for me, pray for healing, pray for physical healing. And I don't know how many times people pray for me, like hundreds of times, right? People ask, people pray for me, pray for myself, all those things, and it was not going away, okay? Then the Lord, one day, when I was, when I was kind of on my prayer walk, I was talking with the Lord. He was, he was talking to me, and I was talking to him about the stomach thing, right? And then he reminded me of that prayer that I prayed in 2018. He said, you remember praying that prayer when you said you wanted to be dependent on me, right? Not because you have to, but because you want to. Then he said, what's happening with this stomach ailment thing that you have? And I said, I feel totally dependent on you. You know, because it's lasting day by day, every day, like, it starts wearing you down, right? And you get to the point where you feel like, I need you every day. Every day, I I just need you, right? I need you to be able to function. And so I'm just desperate for the Lord, and I'm just crying out to him and desperate for him, and he said, Uh, Then he asked me again, what do you really want? You know, when you pray that prayer, do you really want that? And then I affirmed again, yes, that's really what I want. I want to be dependent on you. I want to be intimately connected with you. And then he asked me, what is this stomach thing producing? And then the light bulb came on. He said, this is producing exactly what you want said, this is producing exactly, and this is what I was saying, it's producing exactly what my heart's desire is. And then he asked me, then why do you keep praying to, for it to go away? Wow, wow. When the Lord told me that, that just really struck straight to the heart. He said, what's your heart's desire? My heart's desire is to be intimately dependent on you and close to you. And then when he said, look at what your stomach thing is producing, it's producing exactly what you want. This is producing your deepest heart's desire. And then when he asked asked me, if that's true, why do you keep praying for it to go away? Why do you keep praying for it to go away? And so he took me on this journey, right? And I won't share with you the whole journey, okay? But I want to share you the part that I think relates to this is the way we can have rejoicing in our midst of our suffering is you have to be able to see what it's producing. You can't look at the thing itself. And I think the hard part for us is that 
we let the negative circumstances and the things that we're going through speak so loudly. It crowds out and it blinds us to the things that the Lord is doing. And that was happening to me in my stomach thing. I was so focused in on the stomach and the pain and all those different things. I didn't see he was producing exactly what my heart was longing for and desiring and hungering for. I couldn't see it. And if you're in the same situation, I wouldn't blame you either if you can't see it. Because there's so much pain, there's so much suffering, there's so many things that are like a megaphone. That's what C.S. Lewis says, pain is like God's megaphone. He's like speaking so loudly, the pain is so big, it's so thick, right? You can't see past it. And it really takes God's grace for you to be able to come in, to be able to see, but this is what I'm doing. This is where I am in the middle of this. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm producing. This is how I'm showing myself to you. This is how I'm carrying you. These are the things that you need to see. You see, if you can't see those things, you can't rejoice in your suffering. Because like I said, you don't want to rejoice in the suffering itself. So even though when the Lord started showing me that, and the stomach thing kept coming up, and I was using it every day, I said, Lord, thank you for this reminder for how close I am to you. Thank you for this reminder of how dependent on you, and I want to be dependent on you. I don't want to be twisted, my arm twisted behind my back to force me to be dependent on you. I want to be dependent because I want to be dependent. Because I want you to be with me and care for me and love me and show yourself to me. I want that. So I want to choose every day when I feel my stomach to say yes to that. I want this. I want what it's producing. Did I rejoice in my stomach pain? Do I rejoice in my... If God takes it away, I'd be throwing a party. I'm telling you, I don't rejoice in my stomach pain. I don't take joy in my stomach pain. Like I said, God doesn't want Christian masochists. He wants Christian hedonists. He doesn't want Christian masochists. He wants Christian hedonists. He wants people to rejoice and to have joy. This is why Paul talks about rejoicing in here. He talks about it. It's interesting. In, this, in Colossians, he's in prison. In Philippians, he's in prison. All these prison apostles. What does he say in What does he say in Philippians? Rejoice in the Lord always. What does he say in Colossians? I rejoice in my sufferings. He's talking about rejoicing at all times. He's talking about the real intent of us, the real thing that God wants to bring out. It's not feeling like a Christian uh, masochist, but it's really being a Christian hedonist to feeling I'm going to have joy in the Lord and I can have joy in the Lord at all times because he's always joyful. It doesn't depend on our circumstances. If you are in Christ and your life is in Christ and you're experiencing your life from Christ, then you can have joy at all times because he's always joyful. If your joy is coming from your circumstance, if your joy is coming from your situation, then it's going to be circumstantial, right? Then your joy could be here one minute and then gone the next. It could be here and then it's fleeting. That's why you have to recognize where your life is. Your life is in Christ. If your life is in Christ, then so are all your problems. Let me say that again. It's deep. If your life is in Christ, then so are all your problems. You don't experience them separate. You don't experience, you're experiencing your problems in Christ. That's our new life. That's our new identity. And we have to start growing in our confidence in that. 
right? Because when we don't, and we feel like instead of feeling confident and secure in who we are in Christ, instead of feeling like God's son and God's daughter, we feel like an orphan instead. And what does an orphan experience? The orphan is always looking for the other shoe to drop. The orphan is always looking at the negative. The orphan is always focusing on what's wrong. The, oh, for, the orphan says, oh, here it goes again. The orphan spirit always says, I'm, what, I'm always looking what I'm lacking instead of what I have. The orphan spirit is always looking in fear. The orphan spirit is always looking for what needs to be fixed and what needs to, to be changed. And it's not looking at what God is already doing, but it's always looking at what God hasn't done yet. The orphan spirit is always focused on the negative. If you're always focused on the negative, you can't experience James 1, 1 2 to 3. Or you can't experience 2 Corinthians 12. You can't experience 1 Colossians 1 24. You can't. Because you'll be so focused on the negative, you can't see the positive things that he's doing. We need to see that it's an identity issue. How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as an orphan where we're all by ourselves, where everything is dependent on us, that we're carrying everything, that all whole load is us, that we're responsible for everything? Or do we see that where life is in Christ and he's living his life through us? It's all his responsibility. It's not ours. It makes a difference. It makes a difference to see who you are and whose you are. It makes a difference to see who's actually carrying this. Whose life are you living? Are you living your life? Or are you living Christ's life? It makes a difference. Because if you're living your life, then you're just going to be focusing on all the things that are not happening, all the things that are wrong, all the things that haven't happened yet. If you're living your life, you're going to be so focusing on the trial, the thorn, the suffering. You can't see anything else. And if you can't see anything else, then you can't rejoice. Because like I said, he's not asking you to rejoice in the suffering. He's not asking you to rejoice in the thorn. He's not asking you to rejoice in the trial. He's asking you to rejoice in what is producing, in who he is and what he's doing. And when we're going through that, we can see it more clearly. When you're going through the stomach pains, I can see it more clearly. I can. I can. God wants us to have confidence in this. And um, let, me, let, me, let me close with this one uh, story. Okay, so um, I go on prayer walks a lot. Okay, so if you've heard me talk, you've heard me talk about my prayer walks. And this is where I just kind of walk and talk with God. And uh, it's funny, whenever I go walk, I always ask the Lord where to go. Okay, so it's kind of like a GPS, GPS instructions. Where do you want me to go today? Turn right, turn left, where do you want me to go? And so I just go all different places around my neighborhood. But there's one particular place he takes me a lot. Okay, so let's take a look at the picture here. He takes me to this railroad track. Okay, so this is an abandoned railroad track uh, near my house. He takes me here pretty often. And I know when he takes me here, he, he's speaking a certain message to me, right? So if you look at the railroad tracks and you look at those little uh, slats, or slats there on the wood, he has me walk on those little wooden slats right there. And when I do, he always just speaks the same message, which is, you got to slow down, right? Because they're really close together. You cannot go fast, right? Unless you're doing that football thing, you know, but that's not me. So you have to go slow if you're going to walk through that. And he says, don't skip a step. Don't skip a step. Slow down. And then he was talking about the rails on the outside. He says, this is the rails this is where you're going to experience being in me, in my presence. I want you to stay in my presence. Okay? So every time I go here, that's kind of the message that I get from the Lord. Okay. 
So one day, I've been walking this for years, right? But one day, I see this bush in the middle of my railroad track. I'm like, what is this doing in my railroad track, right? And so I'm walking, looking at this bush. I'm like, this is weird. I've been walking this for years. There's been nothing, right? And then a few months ago, I see this bush. Okay, so then I see this bush, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. So I get out of the lane. I get out of the lane, and then I go back into the track, and then I keep walking. Okay, so I'm doing this. You know, whenever he takes me there, I keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. One day, a few weeks ago, he says, you need to take this bush out. This doesn't belong here. This doesn't belong here. This is my presence, and this is something you've allowed to come in here that doesn't belong. In fact, it's crowding. This bush is big. It's about maybe this tall, and it fits the whole lip. I can't step over it. I have to leave. I have to leave this confines of God's presence. I have to leave it and then come back. He's saying, this doesn't belong. You need to take it out. Okay, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to take it out. So I get my gloves, I get my pruning shears, and then I go out there, and then I start cutting. Okay, so let's take a look at the next slide here. Okay, so I'm starting to slowly cut it. Okay, and as I'm cutting it, I'm asking the Lord, what am I doing? <laughs> what is this bush supposed to mean? Okay, and then he tells me. He says, the root of this bush is your mom's death and her illness. Okay, so my mom passed away when I was in junior high. She got sick of stomach cancer when I was in like third or fourth grade. She said, the root of this bush is your mom's illness and her death. Okay, these are things that I think I, I, I've dealt with before already, though. Right, but I'm like, okay. So I'm cutting the little branches. He said, all the branches are coming from this root, this empty place that you had, right, that you started filling with all these other things. Mainly, you started filling with one relationship after another relationship after another relationship, and you're falling into sin, and this is all coming from this root. And it's created this big, giant bush. Okay, so I'm cutting, 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 right? And as I'm cutting it, I feel, literally, I feel like something is physically lifting off my shoulders. Okay, and then I keep cutting it all the way down to the root, which is the next picture. Okay. It's really interesting to me. The root is dead, right? On the outside, it, it's all green. It looks totally alive. But the root, when I got to the root, it's dead. It's dead. I just pulled it out. I just pulled the root out, okay? So then I pull out this root. And again, I feel like it's something that I've dealt with before, right? But I pulled it out. And then this is what remains. Okay, so you can go to the next picture. Okay, I, I don't know, it's kind of hard to see. Can you see all these little, these little things here? These are the thorns from that thorn bush, okay, that filled with all these different thorns, right? And then when the, Lord, when the Lord told me, this is my place, this is like my presence, I'm holy, this thing doesn't belong, I feel like, these don't belong, right? I took away the bush, but these thorns are no good, okay? So the next day, I come back, and then I'm going to bring a broom, Okay, I'm going to bring a broom and get rid of all these thorns. Okay, so I wake up in the morning, go in my garage, I'm going to pick up the broom, and the Lord says, don't take the broom. Don't take the broom. Okay, so put the, group, put, the, put the broom on the ground. Okay, so I go over there, and then 
Oh, no, don't, don't go there yet. <laughs> go back to the other one. <laughs> okay, so I go back here, and then I go to this place, and I'm like, why doesn't he want me to get rid of the thorns? They seem bad to me, right? And then so I walk over there, and then as soon as I get back to this place, he starts speaking to me. He's like, you see these thorns? You don't need to get rid of these, okay? Because you're going to face these thorns. There's going to be little reminders of this bush. But when you see the thorn, you have to remember there's no more bush. There's no more root. It's gone. And what he was telling me is, you need to start having confidence in what I've done. You need to start having confidence. And he said, how can you have confidence if I don't let you come against something? If you have nothing, if there's no resistance, no confidence, no faith. He said, you have to come against something for you to start having confidence and for you to have faith. And so I looked at that and I thought, this was amazing, right? He took out this root, took out this bush, and I looked at all these thorns, and these thorns were all the different reminders. And since this time, I've had all these different reminders. All these, but every time I do, I remember this. Well, that's just a thorn. There's no more bush. The root is gone, right? It's really like, let's say you, you see a bee stinger, right? But it's just on the ground, and there's no bee. Are you going to be afraid of the bee stinger if there's no bee? That's exactly the message that I got from here. You're going to see thorns. You're going to see thorns. You might get pricked by one of these. It might be painful to experience one of these but it's just a thorn. There's no more bush. There's no more bush. The root is gone. What's the purpose of the thorn then? It's so that we could have confidence. So I keep walking uh, past these uh, railroad tracks and then I turn the corner. It was right after I saw the thorn thing. I turn the corner and then that's when I saw this next slide. I see this on the ground. This is around the corner from the, this is not my house, right? This is just random like on the ground. This broom. Right after he talked to me about the thorns, I see this broom on the ground. And then he said, don't forget, you don't need the broom. I told you to put it on the ground. Don't constantly feel like you need to keep working on it. It's already finished. Don't constantly feel like you need to keep improving that and keep working on that. It's already done. I want you to have confidence. Put the broom down. Stop trying to work on yourself and your own strength and your own flesh. Stop trying to do it. You need to have confidence that I've done it and I'm doing it. You don't have to do it. Put the broom down. Recognize the thorns and look at it in your life, but realize there's no more bush. There's no more root. This was such a good message for me. You need to have more confidence. You need to have more confidence in who you are. You need to more have more confidence in whose you are. Pastor Barry talked about the 30-day challenge, talking about who you are in Christ and who God sees you. Do it. You need to start having more confidence, right? When you come across these trials and different things, it reveals. It shows where you're at. And if you don't like where you're at, change it. If you don't like where you're at, change it. But it starts from the inside out. It starts from the inside out. Change this first and let the everything else come naturally in its time. You have to work on this first. 
And so when we look at this passage and Paul talks about rejoicing, the only way we can really rejoice and prosper in suffering is to see God, to see what he's doing and to say, this is what I want. This is what I want. So I'm going to invite the worship team up and we're going to enter in a time of communion. And when we enter in this time of communion, uh, I want our focus to be in on Jesus, obviously. <laughs> so if you're a believer, you know, communion is a time where we remember and we recognize Christ's suffering and his sacrifice. And one of the things the Lord was speaking to me while I was going through the stomach things and the suffering that I was experiencing, he was reminding me of a passage in Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, when Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Okay? Everybody likes the first half, which is, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Nobody wants the second half. And I want the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Nobody wants that. But you have to know, when he says, I want to know Christ, it's both of those. I want to know Christ by the power of his resurrection, and I want to know Christ through the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You know, as I was going through that stomach thing and the pain every day, one of the things that the Lord was reminding me is of this. You know, have you ever come across people when you're going through something hard that have experienced the same thing? And then when you talk with them, there's like this knowing, right? Like, they get it. They get it. Other people, they're well-intentioned. They have a good heart. But sometimes the things they say to you are actually hurtful, right? And I don't blame them because they haven't experienced what you experienced, okay? But there's other people where you talk with them and you think, they understand. They understand. They get it. There's this intimate connection you have. And the Lord is saying, this is what you have with me. You're experiencing this suffering. I've experienced this suffering. Right? And, but it was different. It was like, not like the Hebrews 4 where he identifies with you, like he understands my suffering. No. I get to enter into his suffering. I get to know him through this. Not that he knows me through this. Not that he understands the pain that I'm going through and he comes and enters. No. I get to have this intimate connection with him because I understand a little bit. Just a little bit of what Christ suffered through. And he's inviting me in. He's saying, there's no other way to have this intimate connection with me. There's no way to have this intimacy with me except through this door. But if you walk through this door, you can have it. You can have that knowing. You can have that knowing. And that's what he's inviting us to. And so when I take communion, I want you to invite into that knowing. His body and his blood and suffering. If you have suffering, enter into that intimate connection with him. It's an invitation for intimacy. He's inviting you in. Come experience what I experienced. Come be with me. If you're going through that and you feel like you need support, if you're like where I was when I started, you know, in the Valley of Shadow Death, like, I don't have any faith, then I want you to have that time, too, where people can come and pray for you like they did me. Okay, so we're going to do both of those things. So I'm going to invite you to come up and 
I'm going to pray and then invite you up to take communion. And what you do, just engage. Thank the Lord for what he's done in his sacrifice and to recognize all the ways that he's been with you and the things that you've gone through and to enter into intimacy with him. And then if you want prayer, just come sit up here uh, on these rugs up here and we'd love to come pray for you during this time too. So, so Father, we want to just thank you. We want to thank you because you want us to rejoice. You want us to be joyful. You want us to experience wells of spring of water, of living water. And we know we can only do this if we're living your life instead of our life. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in our confidence of that so that we can see you, see what you're doing and experience and hunger for more, that I want more of you today. I want more of your face and not just your hand. I want to experience more of your presence and who you are and how I am in you and everything that I have is in you. I want to experience that more and more and more today so you can turn my heart to joy and rejoicing and to replace the, the rags and the, exp, ex, the suffering and the things that we're going through for these garment of praise. That you want us to have that exchange this morning so that we could really prosper and rejoice in whatever we're going through. Thank you, Lord, that you make it all available through your cross. You make that all possible because of what you've done for us. Thank you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So come on up. Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It'll be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything. And be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus.